Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. This morning, we are going to be continuing our series on Colossians. And if you haven't been here the last two weeks, I'll give you a quick rundown on what this book is all about. This is a letter to a group of people in the first century AD. The Apostle Paul is writing to this group who need to understand who Jesus was, who he is, and how to live with him. See, this group, this church had failed to grasp the truth of who Jesus was and how he has changed everything. Paul is writing this letter to a community that needed to know that Jesus was not just another angel, he was not just another Greek God, but that he was the one and only God. And he needed to remind them that their salvation was not going to be through following rituals and the laws and ceremonies, but instead their salvation comes through Jesus and what he has already done. See, Jesus changed everything when he died on the cross. And chapter 3 is going to explain to us, which is what we're looking at this morning, didn't make that clear, week three, one, two, three. We're going to be looking at the new life that we are to live with him. Our series this month is called Just That, it's called In Him. And this morning, we will look at three different things. We'll look at why we're called to a new life, what that new life looks like, and how Jesus helps us, we can let Jesus in to help us in everything we do. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Why don't you join me as we pray this morning, church. Lord God, I thank you that through you we can achieve salvation. Lord God, I thank you that your son came and he changed everything. Lord God, we thank you that we are called to a new life and that you have promised us so many good things in that life, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for the rain that's been falling this week and we pray that it will continue to fall until the drought is gone and the fires are put out, Lord God. We thank you. We honor you this morning. Amen. So as we explore the why we need to live a new life, a new life in Jesus, I wonder if you have ever found out something that has changed the way you live from that point on. So I used to watch a lot of How I Met Your Mother as a teenager. I used to watch it on my school laptop. And if you don't know much about the show, it's basically Friends, just a few years later. Uh, And... In this, ep- there is an episode in the show where they explore the phenomena of people finding out things that change everything beyond that. So this episode, it's called Spoiler Alert or something, I can't remember. Uh, and the main character, the main character Ted, he brings his new girlfriend to meet all his friends. And they go out to dinner and he, he's expecting them to have a great time, but he can see on their face just how annoyed they are getting. And as the episode continues, he's trying to work out why. And so the end, he asks them, like, you guys look all, you all look so annoyed. Didn't, didn't you like this new girl? And they said, uh, no. 
and they, they had to tell him that she just speaks all the time. She speaks way too much. And Ted sort of tries to defend himself and then it, the montage happens. He flashes back to his whole time dating this girl and he realises he's never been able to get a word in. And as his face changes, the glass shatters over the sound system and he realises that he can't continue living his life with this girl. So they break up. It's very sad, but it's, it's good for him in the long run. Uh, See, Ted found out the truth, so he can't live his life the same way anymore. Now, I I had a moment like this recently. Uh, Not that Megan speaks too much and doesn't let me speak. But we have been trying to squeeze a very big, lovely couch into a very small but equally lovely apartment. And we had compromised. It was angling so that the chaise part was facing the TV, not the lounge part, if you know what I mean. And Megan loves to, every time she's on holidays, move furniture around. And being a teacher, she has a lot of holidays at the moment. So, of course, the question came, can we move some furniture around? Can we try the couch the way it should be? So we moved it, and uh, we rotated it. And the reason we hadn't put it there is because there's no room now to, like, get into the kitchen. Um, it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a small problem. So, but... As we rotated the couch and set it in place the way it should be, the glass shattered. We realized we could never go back. The couch had to be this way. We could not, we have to change the way we live our life. And so we have, we've put the couch up on Gumtree. It's getting picked up today. We're off to go and pick up a smaller one that will fit properly in our small apartment. See, we found out the truth, so we had to change the way we live. Maybe you found out something and you just can't go back. You realize that you say um a lot and then from that moment on, all you hear is when you say um. Or you find out that your your boyfriend, he chews too loudly. Or your wife, she snores and you have to deal with that for the rest of your life. (laughs) That is not a comment on my wife, just to be clear. (laughs) It's not, not personal revelation for me. Maybe this is a case of preaching to the choir, but... What Jesus did on the cross was the biggest glass-shattering moment that there has ever been. Because what he did changed the world, and the way that we have to live beyond that is different. See, this is so important because we live our lives based on what is true. And so what, when what is true changes, it follows that the way we live has to change. Whether it is the location of a couch or the amount your partner speaks, or the truth about who God is, we have to live a new life. And in Colossians 3, as we'll see, Paul explains this to us. He has spent the first two chapters explaining all the ways that Jesus has redefined history. He explains to the the people of Colossae that they are worshipping a God who is God. He's not one of many. He explains to them that their salvation now comes through Jesus, not through ceremonies and laws. As we have just read in the small section of Colossians 3 so far, we see some of the ways that the truth has been redefined in Jesus. Paul says that since then we have been raised in Christ, that we were dead. The old truth was that we were dead, but the new truth is that we are raised with Christ. 
He reveals the truth that Jesus is, is God. He's sitting at the right hand of God. We realize that when the truth is now that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. Instead, we are hidden with Jesus and he sees Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus, uh, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So because of all these things, all of these ways that the truth has changed, we need to live differently. We need to live a new life. And in Colossians 3, Paul explains what this new life is going to look like, and we'll get onto that in a bit later on. But he says to put to death uh, the things that belong to our earthly nature. He says to rid ourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. He calls on us to see each other as brothers, not as Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And he finishes and he says, but Christ is all and is in all. The point Paul is trying to make here is pretty clear to me. That what Jesus has done changes the way we live. It's not just that we have to, it's that we should want to, need to, not stop trying to. So the truth is redefined in him. And so we are to take up a new action. See, this part of the Bible is called the indicative and the imperative of the Christian. The indicative is a statement of fact. It is a truth. And the imperative is the so what, the command, the action. As we read in Colossians 3, we see that there is the imperative that Jesus is God, which means the, what's the next word? The imperative and the, the indicative is that he's God and the imperative is that we need to set our eyes on things above. The indicative is that we are now saved through Christ, so we need to live for Christ instead. I feel today that there are some people that need to start living a new life that Jesus has for them. Some of us need to accept the new realities that Jesus brings, that he is God and therefore there is a new way to live. I know that I have had to change the way I live when I've been looking for a job, when I couldn't work at my old, my old job and I had to put my trust in who God was, trust that the truth is he is my provider, trust in him that he has a plan for me, that he will find a job for me. Maybe you, there are lots of areas that you could have the truth revealed to you and the way that you live change Maybe you aren't being asked to follow the rules of the Old Testament like the Church of Colossae, but instead you're relying too heavily on your emotions to decide your actions. You're following your heart. You're not following your Savior. Maybe God isn't the top of your priority list when the truth is he needs to be. And maybe you've never heard of Jesus before and want to start following him. You want to accept him and live a new life for him, and there will be a chance later on for you to do that. There could even be specific truths that you need to accept in your life and live accordingly. You need to trust that he is the provider, that he will provide all things. Trust that he is a planner and that he has a plan for you. Trust that he loves you completely 
so you don't need to be ashamed. Trust that he accepts you and wants you so you can be filled with confidence that if the God of the heavens and earth wants you, then you should be content. Today, I want you to ask yourself if there is a truth about God that you need to start living. Jesus changes everything, so you living like that is the truth. See, that's the why we, ne- we live a new life, because Jesus changed what is true. But now, what does that new life look like? Last year was the 50th anniversary of, of an event that changed the way we see the world. On the 20th of July, 1969, three astronauts landed on the face of the moon. And from that moment on, as one historian has put it, we were at least in some measure a species that was multi-planetary. See, traveling to the moon changed so many fields through the technology and the science that helped us create new propulsion techniques, uh, new materials that could last in in space, new life support systems that would keep the astronauts alive. But landing on the moon and walking on it has had a huge impact on the way that we view ourselves and our species. It changed our view on what was possible. Only 60 years before, we were still stuck on the ground. We'd never flown. 60 years later, we had launched off the face of Earth to the moon. It also literally changed the way we see the world. With the photos of, uh, that the Apollo missions took, they, uh, I'm sure you've seen them, the blue marble of Earth taken from the moon. Even in the moment, people saw things differently. Over 600 million people watched live on TV back in 1969. To me, that boggles my mind. See, landing on the moon... It's changed what we thought humans were capable of. It changed our perspective. It changed what we saw as possible. And what Jesus did on the cross does the same thing. It changes the perspective through which we see the world. And whilst the moon landing changed a lot about how we see the world, Jesus changed everything. Even the Bible has to be read differently because of what Jesus did we have to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Our whole perspective of life needs to be seen differently because of Jesus. So accordingly, as we've just read, Paul tells us to set our hearts and our minds on things above. But I wonder if that means that he's saying we should all just quit our jobs, meet up at a cafe, grab a coffee, and start pursuing a philosophical endeavor. What is heaven? Do we need to start contemplating life, contemplating the things above, because our mind is on the things above, too good for work? Well, I don't think that is what Paul means, so please don't quit your job. Because as we read on throughout this chapter, Paul is providing us with principles that show us that he expects them to be applied to our current life. See, Paul is calling us to a new life, not no life. In Romans 12, verse 1, in the message version, it says it really well. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, 
eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, Paul wants us to live life with a God perspective. That means we see people the way God sees them. It means that we place God as the top of our priorities. It means that we recognize that we are only saved by Jesus, not through what we can try and achieve. We need to live a life like Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13 says. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Father forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here we get a glimpse of the way God sees us. God sees us, and He is filled with compassion. He is filled with kindness, gentleness, and patience. When He looks at us, and when we look at ourselves through His lens, we have to be humbled to the power that He has. And we realize that we only have anything because of Him. When we see people the way God sees them, we live like it says in verse 14, with the virtue of love covering all. We can no longer live like we used to. We cannot continue the way we used to live. We've already read that Paul tells us to put to death certain things, and he explains what things we are to rid ourselves of, the ways we are not to live. And now he's instructing us to clothe ourselves with things. As we put to death the old things and we place them with the new, Paul's making it clear that our new life is not about just removing things. It is instead the need to replace them with things that reflect our new reality. And this makes sense. All changes in our life come with the flip side. See, maybe you move house. That doesn't mean that you, the change is from one place to no place. It means that you go from one house to a new house. Maybe you try a new diet, and so you change what you eat from one thing to another thing. It doesn't mean that you stop eating. That would suck, in my mind. But I think we need to be reminded that the same thing happens with the things of God. He hasn't come to take away things from our life. He has come to give us a new life, to live it differently. But I find that sometimes when I try and remove things that are of the old life, I forget that I need to replace them with something new. I forget that I need to replace them with something that God has called called for us to do. I wonder if maybe you have done the same, where you've tried to change something in your life, to live a more holy life, but you find you don't always succeed. Some of the times that I've tried, it's maybe I'm trying to be less prideful, but I forget 
to replace that feeling of pride with acknowledging God for the things that I'm proud about. Or maybe I need to control my temper, but I don't think about what I will do when I get a bit angry. See, maybe I can last a week, a day, a month even, but sure enough, if I haven't chosen something to replace it with, it'll come back. Maybe there's a situation in your life where you can see the same thing. You've tried to be more positive with your outlook and be less negative about things, but you don't think about how you respond when something bad happens. Or you try to be less mean to people, but you haven't worked out how you will actually be nice instead. As we continually pursue a life that honors God, our new life, we need to think about the consequence of what we change. What is on the other side of the coin? And this needs to be a real change. It needs to be heart-motivated. I'm not talking about just replacing a bad word with a word that we all still know exactly what you mean. The same applies when we try to do more of something. If you want to read your Bible more or pray more, you need to work out what you're going to take out of your day to fit that in. And as we read in Colossians, we realize that Paul is saying the same thing. He's telling us to put to death some things and replace them with the new things. So you can't be uh, filled with rage and yet clothed with gentleness at the same time. We can't be filled with uh, evil desires and greed and yet be kind and patient. As we position Jesus at the center of our lives and make changes to live in our new reality, we need to remove, not only remove things, but replace them with the things God wants us to do as well. As we live with our minds set on the things above, we need to be risen and live our new life. And that does not mean living no life. That's the what of what our new life looks like. And now as I come to the end this morning, I want to show you something really cool that I found as I was preparing this message. And I think it helps round out this whole passage and round out the whole picture of how we can let Jesus into our life and how we can live our new life in Him. But first, let me just tell you, let me bring you on the journey. So you know when you're watching an action movie and there's often a bomb about to go off, it's like a staple, and time seems to stand still. The first minute of the countdown is going off in the background and the first minute seems to last about 10 seconds and then the last 10 seconds seem to go for about five minutes. And there is chaos everywhere. People are running around. There's probably a bullet or a bomb going off somewhere else in the background, but this is the big bomb. And our hero, he runs through the scene. He's fighting off people. He's, he's challenged by lots of people who have different opinions on what he needs to do to defuse the bomb. And he opens it up. There's always at least two wires. A decision needs to be made. And he doesn't have the, the instruction manual. They never do. So they have to decide, is it the yellow, is it the red, is it the green? They have a decision, and we don't know how they're going to make it. And the reality is they don't know how they're going to make it either, and time seems to stand still as they snip a wire, and they'll do the thing where they're going for the red, but then they'll snip the yellow, and you won't see that, that's off camera. They make a decision, and the, here's a bit of a spoiler for everybody, the bomb never goes off. They always make the right decision. But we never know how 
they make that decision. There's no reason to pick the yellow instead of the red. We're not taken on the journey of how they decide that, and they're just making a gut decision. Well, what do we do when we face our own decisions that could be right either way? When we don't have all the information, or maybe we have all the information and no, not one side is particularly worse than the other, how do we live our life in that moment? See, Colossians 3 so far has helped us in some areas on what we are supposed to not do. It's helped us in other areas on what we are to do. But there are still so many gray areas that could never be covered in the Bible. We need to have a method, a, a, a process for deciding things in the gray area of our life. This could be how to resolve conflicts when both sides have merit, how to know if something is the right or the wrong thing to do. Well, let's read verses 15 to 17 because I think we find an answer. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now you might be wondering, Tim, yeah, that's great, but I have no idea how to actually let the peace of God help me make decisions. It doesn't really make sense. How do I let the peace of God rule in my heart? Well, this is the one word I want to pull, pick out, the word rule. As I was doing some research, I found that the word rule here is the Greek word brabuo. And this is the only time in the whole Bible that it is used. And here's the cool part. The word brabuo means umpire. See, Paul is telling us to let the peace of Christ be the umpire in our heart, the umpire for our decisions. Umpires decide whether a tackle is legal or illegal, whether a batter is in or out. They operate in the gray areas of decisions. When it's not quite clear, they still need to make a decision, even if that's to make no decision at all. As we apply this to our new life, as we let the peace of God adjudicate in our decision-making, we need to let Him have the final word on the close calls. We need to let Him into every decision. See, we need to listen to the Spirit of God. We need to pray and consult wise counsel. We need to read the Bible. As we toss up two options, there will be peace on one. And if we do that, if we trust God, if we listen to Him, we will know that where there is peace, there is God. And we can go forward with that decision. See, this becomes easier and easier as we continue to live our new life. This is the culmination of what we have looked at today. See, God has redefined the truth. And so we need to live to reflect that. God then tells us what this new life looks like. And as we accept the truth and live in this way, we will become more trustworthy. We will become more trusting of Him and more faithful in Him and more open to allowing Him to be the umpire of our heart. Thanks for listening. 
find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.